Okay, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 177 with my guest and good friend, Ayano, excuse me, Ayano Kataoka. Uh, Ayano is an amazing percussionist. She teaches at UMass Amherst. And I first met Ayano in grad school at Yale University in 2004 when I um, auditioned there. In 2003, I auditioned there. And then, um, excuse me, no, in 2004, I auditioned there. And I stayed uh, at Ayano's house. I didn't know her at that point, but I just stayed in the guest bedroom. And uh, she brought me little slices of apples in the morning when I went to audition for Bob. And... um, I was lucky enough to get to go to school with her, to play with her in a bunch of chamber music ensembles at Yale, uh, and just to get to hang out with her. She's an amazing percussionist, a great teacher, um, and just an amazing person. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. This is Ayano Katooka. Enjoy. Bye. (laughs) You look beautiful, Ayano. I missed you. I miss you so much. Uh, All right. Oh, yes. I miss you, too. I have been. All right. We're rolling. We're rolling. Ayana, let's gavel this to order. Yeah. <laughs> this is your first time. This is your first time on, on my podcast, right? Yes. First time. I know. We've been texting about it for a while. And I've known I'm... you. We met in 2004, <laughs> I believe, at Yale. Correct? Is that right? You oh were a student. You were, you were in your last year of your, I think, your artist diploma, correct? Right, I was there uh, from 2003 to five. Yeah, and then you came for audition. Yep. So 2005, probably. I was there from 2004 to six. So I met, actually met you in the in the spring of 2003. Whenever I came to audition, and I want to let I want to sort of get to your background a little bit here. But our my very first time I met you, it sounded like a tiny little bird was tapping its beak on the door and uh, to a bedroom in a home with Kevin Dufford and you, I believe the two of you were living together and I stayed in a little guest bedroom and you opened the door and there you were all two feet, seven inches tall of you holding a little, (laughs) a little plate of apples. And I thought this is the first Japanese person I've ever met in my life. And she's feeding me apples. I love this. And then I went and auditioned and, um, and you were so nice to me. And I just remember you thinking, I, you said something to me when I auditioned, you said, uh, don't listen to everything he says or something like that. You were very much like, he's going to say something and make you mad, but don't listen to him. He's just a big teddy bear. Like you, you sort of made my mind way more at ease when I auditioned. So I want to thank you for putting me at ease and helping me get into Yale um, by easing my nerves. But Ayano, why don't we start, you know, and then you and I studied, I, I worked with you at Yale for a year and we've been friends ever since. And we killed a lot of cockroaches together, <laughs> smoked a few cigars in our day and drank a lot of beer. Um, but I want to start a little bit. So my friends, you know, we have a lot of, uh, students and, and colleagues in, in, in the world, in the percussion world who know you and me through just the circles we run in. But for folks who haven't studied with you and don't know you, what, can you take me back to like baby Ayano, little tiny (laughs) baby Ayano and what got you, what got you into music? How did you get to teaching at UMass Amherst, which is what you currently do and playing with Chamber Music Society, Lincoln Center, all of that stuff. Can you start? Baby Ayano, how, how did you get into music? Where did you grow up? Little girl Ayano, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I grew up in Japan, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I started to uh, study marimba when I was five years old. <laughs> when I say that, everyone was like, what? <laughs> Were your parents musical? No, not at all. 
Um, so my um, okay. So there was a kindergarten five minutes away from my house. Mm-hmm. Had a unique education system that uh, I mean, basically there were a bunch of music teacher and like um, you could study violin or mm-hmm. piano or uh, electric piano or drum set. Uh, what else? Uh, I studied piano and violin first. And then, um, but I hated violin. <laughs> After a year, it wasn't later, big enough for you. Like you chose the marimba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's just so painful the way you know you have to hold and then press the, you know, the strings and then like to you know use the bow and it's just like uncomfortable feeling that I just didn't like it and I'm sorry for you know string players that I say that but uh, after one year I even couldn't play uh, Tinkle Tinkle Little Star <laughs> and <laughs> I clearly remember my um, yeah violin teacher at that time uh, said oh you don't have talent <laughs> so that was enough oh my goodness <laughs> the idea that anybody would ever look at you and say they do- that you don't have talent is like <laughs> mind-boggling to me certainly people can say that but anyway so then so I quit violin and then found this uh, marimba teacher there was a marimba teacher for some reason that's like so random it is right was it a Japanese person or was it yeah Japanese yeah Uh and And actually this uh, my teacher I mean who eventually I studied through almost um yeah, when I got into college in Japan, so more than yeah, from five to uh, eighteen was so, so yes, yeah, thirteen years to study with her. So wow. what was her name? Like a, hmm? What was her name? Uh, her name is Tomoko Kubo. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. She has. Uh, I mean, she's such a, a lovely lady, and then very thoughtful, helpful to students and uh, she still teaches so it's in the place so it's, yeah. Where did she learn? I mean, because the Japanese marimba playing is a, I mean, well, we can get to this um, but in terms of like the repertoire in contemporary percussion mm-hmm. field you know, the stuff we grew up studying in school mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that the, the marimba has a, its historical lineage, its birth was in Africa by digging right. a hole in the ground and laying a board over it and hitting that board. And then that went to the geel and the balafone and then now to the marimba, mm-hmm. except somehow it's like, if you didn't know that you might think the marimba was born in Japan because right. of the amount, like the amount of attention composers gave it the amount of t- content, uh-huh. uh, like Miyoshi, Miki, uh, Keiko Abe, both performer and a composer. Can you just like explain to me a little bit, just because I'm acting out of compl- asking out of complete ignorance, I don't know. Why is the marimba such an important instrument in Japan? Well, uh, so Keiko Abe is definitely a pioneer of the, you know, marimbist who really sort of commissioned a piece to those composers that mm-hmm. you just named. Um, and uh, that was like 1960s. And uh, also she... That's been a you know incredible um, improvisation player. So she really sort of through doing that, she composed uh, music for marimba. Her passion was like really purely you know we need like original music for this instrument, and then mm-hmm. that's really uh, you know inspiration for uh, composers, and then um, and then sort of grew up from that. So. Mm-hmm. 
that was the one big yeah cultural sort of marimba culture that developed. But then before that, actually, I uh, I should know more about that. <laughs> um, but um, I know uh, there was a, like a radio show uh, by a guy who apparently used to um, uh, like a perform in United States or something like that. Like that, this guy really brought. <clears throat> Uh, marimba to Japan and then like at this radio show you know had always sort of marimba music as a background mm. or something that um, uh, his name is um, oh I'm blinking for a second uh, I hope it's gonna come up late yeah out later but um, okay. yeah uh, this guy uh, really sort of made like people apparently, you know, used to listen to this uh, radio show that I like get got familiar with the marimba sound. Uh, in fact, uh, the reason why I started to uh, study marimba at five was like when you know my mother found out that oh there is a marimba teacher teaching, <laughs> then like she really likes the marimba sound from this radio show mm. and wanted yeah her daughter to okay. yeah, study. So that was the kind of the connection. So through this, um, yeah, radio show, and then also there is um, a association called a uh, uh, Japan Xylophone Association (JXA), and mm-hmm. uh, that has it's a more likely a sort of like um, group for uh, people who plays uh, play marimba for for fun or mm-hmm. hobby or yeah, yeah those kind of like, like a uh, club, yeah. Yeah, club in a way, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but they're also professional, you know. And then those, uh, this association had a sort of like a network um, to have a, like a sort of like a brunch, sort mm-hmm. of marimba, uh, yeah, classes, uh, studios uh, all over the, you know, the country, Japan, that, for example, there is a brunch in Hokkaido or there is a brunch in Yokohama oh. or you know, Tokyo. Yeah. But it's called, the, it's, like, called the Jap- it's called the Japanese Xylophone Association? Yeah, for some reason, yeah. Well, this is another. This is another. I mean, in, in I mean, you studied with Bob Insights too, and, and I remember studying Mirage with him in in Time for Marimba, and he talked a lot. It was the first time anybody had ever spoken to me about different types of marimba sounds, like culturally mm-hmm. speaking. Um, mm-hmm. It had always like when he, you know, Steve Reich, you know, he spent time in Africa, and so a lot of his music, like if you know about balafone or geoplaying, you mm-hmm. can look at a piece like Nagoya Marimbas or Sextet and be like, oh. I see how that relates or where I can see how that style of playing relates to a specific way of playing a Gilles. Right. The way Japanese composers and performers, I, I feel like have dealt with the marimba has been to get a xylophone type sound, which is often not very resonant, mostly high, very fast roll speeds, very aggressive playing. Um, right. Brittle comes to, to mind. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way, just glassy, like not afraid to use very heavy or loud or hard mallets, you know? And so, yes, mm-hmm. Keiko breaks bars, but, and I think you could look at that and be like, well, she's playing too hard or she didn't have great, but culturally that music mm-hmm. demands it. And I, it's, it's just interesting to me how like the Japanese culture or, or her approach. And again, like, I don't know, I don't know Japanese culture well enough to make that statement I just made, but her approach mm-hmm is an interesting sort of graphing of like how a culture hears and sees its music onto an instrument that's from Africa, you know? And I think that like when Bob was explaining, like, no, when you play Mirage, play it like you're playing a xylophone, not like you're playing a marimba. And it was like, Oh, 
okay, that's a that's an approach that's interesting to me. You're not seeing the marimba just as a giel or just as a you know right. a rhythmic instrument. It is a melodic instrument, but it's also a timbral instrument. It can make you go like whoa and like sit back in your seat in that first mm-hmm. bar of mirage. You know, that's a different feeling than the second movement of of drumming, for example, or right. even hearing somebody play. You know, Bernard Wama play really authentic, traditional, you know, Ghanaian xylophone music, which is not a xylophone. It's a balaphone. Like what we call a xylophone is not what they would, you know, anyway, it's just to say all this stuff is really interesting to me. So I didn't didn't have a question there, Ayano. I was just talking. (laughs) (laughs) But you know me now, so it's fine. Whatever. I don't. (laughs) So, uh, so this, uh, uh, JXA, uh, Japan Asso- uh, Xylophone Association, uh, had this, um, you know, the sort of president of the club. The mm-hmm. association was, uh, yes, he did a lot of like, um, did a transcription of the classical music. Mm-hmm. So this, um, yeah, uh, they do concert every, you know, annually, like uh, locally, and they also there is a one sort of like a big sort of assemble like a big you know concert right. uh, every year and then yeah those sort of branch uh and studio sort of you use this um yeah transcription of like i don't know string quartet or uh i used to play like Tsugoina Wizen or you know hungarian rhapsody or something mm-hmm. you know like yeah. a virtuoso you know virtuoso you also played like, marianne i believe um not marianne uh um shoot um uh, Jamaican farewell. What? Uh, didn't you play something like a tropical piece <laughs> that you and I play? I played steel drums with you because you. I was playing it in the other room and I heard you play it. I was like, "What?" And I came in the other room. You're just like, "I used to play that when I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, lots of like things like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, like you know, uh, the flight of bumblebee, or you know, <laughs> like a square dance, or you know, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing, yeah. music. Too play so um yeah i was and then that's a, also in a way uh a, approach like a to play marimba as a solo instrument rather mm. than because like a violin music is very you know solistic right, you right. know the that you know plays violin part part is a yeah really sort of solistic uh, approach to do it so um yeah i really used to do a lot of those kind of thing and then um one day when i was uh, maybe like 13 ish i don't remember exactly but then my teacher started to say so you should uh, start to play uh with four mallets so yeah and then sort of like she told me about how to hold like whether you know crossing this way or this way mm-hmm. <laughs> and then yeah you you should choose so i kind of chose to uh do the cross grip with the barton way mm-hmm. instead of the traditional and then yeah then sort of started to play like easy some like a bark you know piece by that you know transcription of bark and then eventually um yeah sonata few and stuff mm. like that so study to play um <clears throat> but um yeah that was the kind of like um process for me to uh do yeah uh, study marimba uh, always my teacher like had me to play i mean sort of like an exercise thing uh at the beginning of the lesson like actually very rhythmic approach that i'm uh, like doing uh quarter and then eighth note, like with the metronome, like she's like, as soon as you you walk in and stand in front of the marimba, she puts the metronome on, <laughs> and then like 
I did. You know the mm-hmm. queen tablet, the six, six tablet. Start over. For octave. And yeah, go up and down. So it's like. I think your teacher was just looking like. I think your teacher was probably like, I have no idea what to say to her. So I just need 10 minutes to think of something. So do this exercise while I think. (laughs) You're a teacher. You know, that would probably come in handy some days. (laughs) But it's really helped. I mean, you know, six tablet. Six tablet is like. That's become tremolo, and then that could be actually a xylophonic, you know, yeah, yeah. It's true. approach yeah. in a way. So, and then, yeah, like from right hand or from left hand, you know, to do it. And they also scale, like she sort of randomly named, like, okay, E flat major or something like that, mm-hmm. and doing that. So, those sort of very fundamental, um, well, yeah, sort of. Let, let me ask you, so where along your study, I mean, you started at five. I mean, traditionally in the United States, when I say, you know, I would say the standard time when most people start their music education is like fifth grade. Um, I think people start earlier or later, but generally that's the way the education system is, uh-huh. is structured here. I started in fifth grade. Um, I didn't even conceive that doing music for a living was something that was possible really until my until my junior year in high school when I was like, wait a minute, my percussion teacher who runs the steel band, this is what she does. They, they pay her to do this? That's insane. I would love to be paid to talk about drums all day. And I told her that and she and she's like, oh my God, you you don't know how to read pitches and uh, you know, you can't sight read and oh my, oh, like you can't even play four mallets. We need to get you. Oh God. Oh, so like I crammed the last year of my high school and you've had this since fifth grade or since you were, you were uh, eight five. or five, excuse me. What, mm-hmm. where along that line did you make the step or was it a conscious choice to be like, I want to study this with somebody to do this for a living? Where did, did that, when did that, if at all, when did that enter the equation? Um, I remember um, around, it was around, yeah, like middle school age, like a teenager, you know, um, that um, uh, one day I went to see a concert um, by the student of the university where I eventually went. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, let's say, you must percussion ensemble, that kind of thing, you know, of that Japanese, right. you know, right, right. <laughs> college version of that. And then I got really inspired by their performance. And then that's when I um, actually, the school that I went, um, often, by the way, like when I, you know, tell people about, oh, I'm from Japan, and if you, you know, kind of studied marimba, uh, so the primary, and then often people, associate with oh have you studied with Keiko Abe mm. <laughs> that's like first thing that everyone asks me yeah. and I'm like no <laughs> like there's a lot of so, Japanese people in the world Japan is an island but it's not a super tiny place like maybe I just haven't ever met her <laughs> like, it is possible 
the way she teaches uh what she used to teach i'm not sure at this point um mm-hmm. but um so this um uh, private school called uh toho uh school of music and then that's like really sort of like a marimba major there is a marimba major and then percussion major so it's a two separate mm. thing instead of like one you know percussion major mm. To do all of that, so yeah, if you really want to study marimba, you just could go to wow. that. And then, uh, yeah, some of the uh, private school uh, in, in Tokyo area uh, has that marimba major. So, um, but then when I saw this uh, concert, uh, and then that that school is only have uh, has a, a percussion major. So even if you um, you could choose to take audition, sort of marimba heavy sort of based uh, repertoire or uh, snare drum or, you know, the percussion um, heavy uh, audition materials. So you can still choose, but then once you get into the studio, you really have to do, like, they're going to treat you equally, you know, Mm -hmm. regardless of, you know, you play marimba better, you know, but you have to do this, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I kind of liked the idea of because I also yeah found myself that because of that all virtual stick you know uh, violin you know repertoire that I was doing so I had zero rhythm <laughs> rhythmic sense you know mm-hmm. although I did this that, that, that but that's like totally separate thing when, yeah. when I played I was just so freely you know making phrase or stuff like that yeah. so I really was not trained to do this yeah. so uh, when I saw this concert and then just the st- student the prayers they were just like so you know flexibly freely doing you know every instrument so lively and then I was just so inspired and then there was a one um, program at the end of the concert they did whole sort of like um, show that they created their own sort of like an improvisational but then also they all planned out and mm. then they for example used like piano bench and it's sort of like a stomp let's say mm-hmm. the idea is like a you know using sort of yeah uh, object to sort of you know hit on the floor or something like that and then create rhythm and then also visually also so you know interesting mm-hmm. to see the rhythm you know by sound and then Visual, so so sort of like, you know, at that time, stomp. I don't think we had the stomp, you know, show new about stomp, and then but then like, wow, they're creating all of that, you know, idea coming from sort of like, sort of like kids play, you know, mm-hmm. using like a bamboo bars to do jump, 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 and then kids jump around, you know, that well, kind stomp, of thing. Let's like, be. I think we should be clear. Stomp didn't. Mm-hmm invent found instrument use like that's 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 a new that's not a new thing like cage was doing that in the 40s but so were the trinidadians in the late 1800s and so were africans in 1300 so Mm -hmm. were europeans in the year 900 like everybody was always trying to figure find stuff and figure it out so the idea that's i mean stomp does get a lot of credit for that stuff but that's a Mm -hmm. that's a human human trait is is resourcefulness Uh and trying to figure out what it is how to make music out of stuff uh-huh. you know so that doesn't surprise me that you were seeing yeah. stuff like that in japan and not ever even having heard of stomp at that point right, right, right. You know? yeah but i was just so blown away by yeah the fact that you know just a student you know right, like right. 
like a, had such an idea to reincorporate, you know, bringing in to create the you know, whole like 15, 20 minutes show, you know, and then also maybe some compositions that played, you know, marimbas, marimba ensemble, something. I don't remember exactly, but, but just the energy and then just the creativity that they showed, presented at the concert was really something special that I, that made me, I really want to play. Mm. With these guys, so I want to go to this particular school, <laughs> and for that, I should start studying on uh, snare drum. <laughs> so that's how I, yeah, started to be shifting my uh, playing mm. uh, range to be not only marimba, yeah, more you know, broader way. To- and and what and and were your parents supportive of this along the way? Yeah, well, fortunately, uh, let's see, when did uh, they say buy marimba for me? The first marimba that I got was a four-octave Yamaha marimba. And then um, maybe sometime when I was uh, elementary school, like a second year or something, yeah, uh, second grade, mm. third grade or something, when I was still a really little kid that, of course, you know, I couldn't read. So <laughs> my parents made a step. Oh, nice. It's like Pi- Pi- Pius Chang has a bench. You could at least have a step, you know. Don't feel bad about it. In fact, one of the that uh, uh, JXA concert, that I kind of uh, uh, every year I got to perform, and then one year I uh, fell off from that step. <laughs> you got to strap in, Ayana. You got to buckle up. <laughs> well, so let me, let me ask you. Um, so you get you get through your studies then at you know uh, what brought you to the United States? How did you? Where was, when did the moment of studying in the U.S. enter your brain, and how did you make that transition? How did that happen? Uh, so uh, when I was still in the college in Japan, um, there was a, a brand new marimba competition. It's called Lee Howard Stevens Marimba Competition. <laughs> International. I know. For people who know that as like a household name now, like the like a lot of us were alive when Lee Stevens was invented. Like whatever he, whatever people like he introduced himself to the world. A lot of us were like freshmen in college at that point. Like, wait, who's this guy? He just wrote a book <laughs> called Method of Movement. What is this? <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, marimba competition that um, I found out somewhat. Then uh, yeah, I. I should take this. <laughs> and, uh, but then also, you know, it's just a college kid with, oh, you know, if I do this, and then also I can go to uh, Disneyland. Some seriousness, but then also fun, mm-hmm. you know, to make a trip, you know. <laughs> right. did, you have, <laughs> did you have Mickey Mouse ears? Like, you know. <laughs> Was it worth it, Ayana? Was it worth the Disney trip? Anyway, that's what I, yeah, I, I did with two other friends anyway. So like, a, you know, we had sort of sweet, you know, yeah, friends mm-hmm. sort of came together for the first time because also, you know, help each other to travel for the first time in the United States. So yeah, yeah. yeah, it was like, I mean, still my English is horrible, but I'm like, I had, no, you know, no idea. Your English is better than my Japanese, I know. That's <laughs> but anyway. Ohio, so, that's all I got. Because you're from Ohio, I know. I could just, but I only get to use it during a certain part of every day. I can't. The only I can only speak Japanese in the morning. I can't speak it in the afternoon. <laughs> that's, 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 it's true. <laughs> but 
but anyway, so yeah, I participated in this um, marimba competition. Oh, and then oh, there's also a story to get to Asbury Park in New Jersey, which is we had no idea how actually dangerous place. <laughs> what did something happen when you were there? No, not. But then, like, I think we had to wait uh, the train, like, uh, to take the New Jersey transit, mm-hmm. uh, like. You know, 10 p.m. or something like that. Like that sort of, we somewhat, you know, figure out the time uh, train schedule, and they are okay. This seems to be the one, the last one that we have to take <laughs> to get to Asbury Park. <laughs> and well, then we had to transfer at one station. But anyway, then. <clears throat> and tra- uh, so, trains yeah. in the U.S. do not run as promptly as they do in Japan. I imagine is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, uh, we are so proud that we have such a punctual train system that even like 20 seconds delayed, they announced to apologize. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah. <laughs> Might be a little overkill, but I, it's, it's appreciated, you know. It's nice of them to do. Yeah, anyway, so we were not sure about this, like, so which train to, you know, take mm-hmm. the, at the transfer station. And then, so I, yeah, we kind of, like, look around and ask people. So uh, we want to go to Asbury Park. So is this the train to get to or something like that? And then as soon as we say, like, Asbury Park, people started to say, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that's where the marimba competition is, lady. That's where I got to go. You go where the competitions are. <laughs> And yeah, people seriously like you know. As soon as you you know arrive at the station, like you have to catch the like taxi and then wherever you need to go, yeah. like as soon as possible. Don't walk around. So that's what we were told. And what? Oh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, that's kind of the you know adventure of my first yeah uh, trip to the United well, States. So where I, did you meet? So what? When you were here, where, where you were here, was there something that like did you? Where did you meet Bob? I guess is where my is my where my questions. That's leading here. the point. Sorry. No, you're I'm fine. You're fine. It's just a, just a conversation, <laughs> Iano. You're doing great. So that's the marimba competition. Uh, Mr. One Size was one of the jurors. Uh, okay. All right. That uh, it's all coming together. It's all making more sense. <laughs> then I, you know, I uh, also also uh, at the time. Bob still uh, taught in Holland. And then, so he came with a bunch of his students. Um, mm. So, yeah, and then, so there were a bunch of uh, Bob's students took uh, participated in this competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them, actually, I was talking about this story uh, to someone just a few days ago. And then, uh, because I just uh, had a performance with uh, Eduardo Leandro. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and Eduardo was one of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because Bob, Bob, <laughs> there was an Akron grad, Matt Aponius, who studied with Bob in Rotterdam. And I think Le- oh. Eduardo was part of it. There was a, there's a small crew of folks who, that were kind of Bob's like main for, or first class in Rotterdam. A few of them came to Yale when Bob started teaching there. Right, um, right. But I know like Larry Snyder, Matt Aponius, Bob sent him to Rotterdam to study, or sorry, Larry sent him to Rotterdam to study with Bob. And so that's kind of like where the Akron connection with me and, uh, and with Larry and Bob started with that was there, but also Larry Snyder helped. Uh, they did the premiere of spirit festival with lamentations at the university of Akron. Oh, I didn't know with that. With four Akron grads, one of whom was Matt Aponius. And that's where Matt met Bob. 
And oh, then Bob God. brought Matt to Rotterdam. So anyway, it's like there's a I, I I learned about these connections with Bob well after I studied with him at Yale. Huh. But but it's like I never understood why Larry Snyder had such a direct pipeline to Bob. Like I did, it didn't make sense to me. Like Bob came through once while I was there, just like a million other guest artists. But like the more I learned, it's like oh, Larry had Bob to Akron when Bob was doing some of his earliest master classes in the United States. It was like Larry and Mike Rosen and some folks that, that, you know, Bob studied with Mike Rosen and all of the microtonal glockenspiels and the Parsifal bells um, or the uh, constellation bells for spirit festival were all made by a former, former student of Larry Snyder at the university of Akron. So it's like all of the om glocken that are used in spirit festival, Larry owns them all. They're not Bob's. So like, I don't know, maybe I got into Yale because Bob owed Larry a favor, but one way or another, it brought you and me together. So I'll, I'll take it. I'm not, I'm not ashamed. <laughs> I got into Yale on a, on a technicality, you know, somebody owed somebody a favor. So, 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 so you met Bob, so you met Bob at this festival then as a, he was a judge. The, the competition. Yeah. Sorry, the and, competition, uh, yeah. I mean, like I was one of the bunch of, you know, marimba I mean, Japanese marimba girls. <laughs> and, well, uh, and it's a, I, um, I feel bad. It's like, it's a stereotype, right? Like the Japanese marimba player is a yeah. thing. And, but, but, but that was the thing that like, I was so, I, it was so eye opening to find out. Like I thought, yes, I kind of knew I was a stereotype of the Japanese, but, but somewhat I kind of, how do I say yeah, I I don't think or I didn't want to be or, you know, yeah, somewhat, yeah. I want to be different. Sure, yeah. You know, yeah. And then, but, but actually I figure that I actually really still one of this, you know, stere- typical stereotype of the performer the way I, I approach to. Mm. It's just like, this, it's just like tone production, like a sound, how they make the sound. And it's just like the whole thing was just something that I never mm. thought about. And then particularly the, this mafia of Bob's student, <laughs> it's just, they all play so beautifully and then fantastically. Mm. And then just like, it's like, holy cow, you know, it's just like every single student. And then how they, how come they place, you know, with so high level, and uh, I think a bunch of uh, both students uh, went to a final. I think there was a first, second, third round, and then finals. So, th- yeah, we had four, four uh, rounds. <clears throat> and then, um, yeah, it's just like, uh, who, who is their teacher? So that was my initial mm. sort of connection to Bob, uh, who Bob one size is. And then sort of like, Yes, stuck in my head that um, I didn't, you know, at that time again, sort of like first time to make a trip to United States. And even I didn't know where, you know, he teaches that, okay, from Holland, but then where, you know, in right, Holland, right. you know, stuff like that. So no idea. And then I really didn't know how to figure that out, like if I want to study with Bob, you know. So, so yeah, that comes to, you know, that's, that holds how I got to study Bob is a kind of, you know, after, you know, later, <laughs> the story that I can tell about. But uh, yeah, this was uh, definitely a sort of uh, in- initial connection mm. to Bob. And then also the thing was, uh, so this, you know, whole mafia <laughs> of Bob student, there was a one Japanese lady in it mm-hmm. who got second prize. Who um, was that? Who was that? 
Uh, so her name is Kuniko Kato. <laughs> and、uh, I don't know if I can say about this,、uh, about if, you know. <laughs> sure, you can say whatever But,、uh, you want. I don't, I don't care. Oh, okay. Well, so, you know, Kuniko plays with the cross grip. And、uh, the, uh, by the way,、uh, you know, the who got the first prize? Do you know who got the first prize? The, who won the competition?、Uh, Eric Samuel. Oh, Eric Samut. Okay. All right. Or、mm-hmm. Eric Samut. Samut. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The French. Yeah. yeah.、Uh, he played like, you know, rotations,、mm-hmm. uh, you know, beautiful. I mean, the final round was basically like a 30 minutes of music that you want to play, whatever you want to play. So he played like beautiful Bach and also lots of his composition. And then, I mean, he, the way, you know, again, sort of like the. You know, the way French, you know, speaks, like his voice is just so, like, you know, soft and then just, like, so、mm-hmm. beautiful. And I mean, definitely, you know, he deserves to be a winner. But I also heard that, I mean, Kuniko played so unbelievably, especially velocities that she played.、Mm. Um, like, her tempo was slower than it's,、um, you know,、um, Uh, specified,、um, but、um, the way she had a groove and then just sound and everything. Like, again, so for me, typical stereotype of Japanese marimba player, you know, she was like definitely, you know, excluded from that box. And then she had her own sort of playing style, and then particularly that sense of. I don't know, the groove and the beauty of the marimba sound was just like so inspiring to me. And、mm. then, as someone who sort of studied、um, Bob and became such an extraordinary you know, player,、mm-hmm. uh, that was really something that, yeah, blown away and then inspired me. That. But, but the thing about, I mean, both players. Equally beautiful, but but what made difference between first and second was apparently gripping. Oh, really? <laughs> Lee Howard Stevens. Oh,、um, you know, yeah, yeah. And so, I, I have, I mean, I, I get it to a point, I understand why people argue. I, I understand, I can empathize why somebody could hold that thought. On the、mm-hmm. other hand, I have heard amazing results. With all sorts of grips. I've、mm-hmm. also gotten amazing results out of my own grip, which is terrible. I also know that I just can't, there are limitations to my grip that I would not have to deal with if I had learned cross grip, you know? But this idea that, like, if you don't play Musser grip or you don't play Stevens grip or you don't play cross grip or you don't play Burton or, you, or if you just can't do some hybrid version of all of them, you'll never be able to be a success. That's insane. Anybody who says that is wrong. <laughs> just wrong and is trying to sort of like they're only acting from a, a spot of insecurity because that's the only way they know how to teach or they know how to play. And it's fine, like, there's lots of ways that I can't play, but I can teach somebody with cross grip. I'm not gonna like my way of teaching them isn't like, well, if unless you play muscle grip, I can't tell you what to do. It's like, no, <laughs> I mean, in fact, my student at UMass, oh,、uh, how many people, I mean, most of them. Um, play with、uh, Steven's grip, and I don't.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, and so, Bob doesn't play with Steven's grip. He's like a weird hybrid Musser grip. Like, <laughs> it's like his hands are flat, you know, and there's not a whole lot of this motion. It's a combination of like an arm and a shoulder.、Right. Anyway, just for me, that, that approach, <laughs> Bob never once, never once in two years ever told me to move my thumb a specific way. 
ever. Mm-hmm. He never but, was like he was like yeah. if you're having pain, let's talk about it. But I'm looking for a sound. Oh, cool, you got the sound. Does that mean if you held the mallet with your left foot? I don't care as long as you can get that sound consistently and you're not causing yourself physical harm. What are we talking about? You know, and which yeah. is fine at a graduate level study. I mean, I can understand why it is like a you know you teach freshmen in college. You might want to help guide that process a little bit early on, but as a grad student. It was a relief not to have somebody be like, if you just put the mallet here and you just rotate it a quarter inch this way, and I'll do that 3,000 times. I'm like, but we haven't even hit the instrument. What are we doing? Like, <laughs> like I'm not making any sound. Um, so anyway, I think, I think it's, it's good that you're teaching that way. And, and just to dispel any rumors about Bob, like he never, ever harped on people's technique. It was all about sound, at least in, in yeah, my experience anyway. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what he told me at the beginning, like when I, you know, came to Peabody to study with him. And I asked him, should I switch my grip to mm. Stephen's grip? And then he, he was like, no. And we, you know, talk about music. So, mm. yeah, that was really, yeah, really, really. Well, for me. let me ask you, I know, I know we may be jumping over a few things here, but when you get to United States and so you're, you, you get to Peabody, uh, Johns Hopkins University for your, you know, your fresh, were you doing your master's or your freshman year there? Um, masters. Masters. Okay. So you get there, you know, you're not, this isn't your first time studying this instrument, but what, for you, what were the very first, like, whoa, this approach to teaching is not what I mean. Because even if you come from the United States in terms Mm -hmm. of the way we teach education here and the way things are structured, the minute you meet Bob Van Sice, Mm -hmm. you realize really quickly, he's going to say things to you that no other teacher would ever say to you. Sometimes, it can feel a little bit emotionally distressing sometimes when he tells you something, but most times he's telling you the truth, which is you didn't play that <laughs> or you can't do this. And here's why, or this sound that you're making isn't the sound you think you're making. And that's for me, that was the like, wait a minute. I can't believe you just said that to my face. You told me I'll probably never play with a symphony orchestra or I'll probably never win a timpani audition. And I got mad at you. And then you showed me why. Like, it's because I can't play Beethoven one to save my life on the timpani. So like, like for you, what was the biggest, what were the biggest sort of like differences from studying in Japan to studying in Baltimore with, with Bob at Johns Hopkins? You know, try to think, um, mm, yeah, try to remember if I had a specific uh, lesson, uh, that was just so, well, quite direct answer to that but um um the way he uh creates the atmosphere of the studio like how studio members help each other uh i think that was one thing that like he really cared about you know cooperation and then that's actually you know if you're a percussionist you share the instrument and the space and everything mm-hmm. so those are really important thing um yeah that was one thing that yeah definitely different from um yeah japan like where sort of like uh we have this hierarchy you know system mm. um yeah mm-hmm. like traditional like it's a it's a just a really a culture that you know asian culture i guess mm. has that uh like if you are one year advance like uh, if you got into the studio or the school yeah. like one year earlier than me regardless of the age you know you can't really have to I'm, I regardless I mean we respect each other but sure. then like it's just like the reason was because 
you, yeah. Well, I, I will say, I mean, I know Ayano when we first met, um, and I've told other people this, like, Jamie Dietz was the first gay man I think I had ever become friends with. Or, like, knew personally where I could ask questions of him that I'd never, I wouldn't feel comfortable asking another gay person. You know, and so Jamie was, like, a big, not just one of my best friends in school and somebody I loved and cared about deeply and play, enjoyed playing with. He was somebody who taught me a lot. And I also say the same about Cliff Alexis, who was the first Trinidadian man who ever I ever met, uh, first black person I ever became close to on any level. Um, and you know, you were the first person from a, from the Japanese culture that I had ever met. Um, the first I'm person, right. yeah. I mean, oh, the, I'm so honored. <laughs> but like, you were the first person who I had to understand the way you said certain English words. I had to understand why, in a rehearsal, um, you might. Like why culturally you would defer to me? Like my, in my first, like my first time at Ac- or, or at Yale, I we were doing a sextet rehearsal, and I was like, you know, doing something or other, and and I looked at you as like you've been in the studio for a long time, and I asked you a question, and you were like, let what do you think? What do you, let's do what you think? And I'm like, what? Like I don't know. Like you're way better than me. Like what are what are we talking about here? And your your willingness, I don't want defer is the wrong word, but your willingness to not have your ideas be the first thing in the room, um, I don't think was a male or female thing. It was just sometimes it was a cultural thing. I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting that Ayano's not speaking up here, but Gwen is. Why is that? I don't understand that. That's, that's interesting. And the more I got to know you, um, the more we smoked cigars, the more that we like did all the things that we did in college. Like to me, that was like, you taught me a lot about somebody else's experience in the United States that didn't grow up here. And most importantly is like the language barrier. Like you went through Yale too. You took Joan Panetti's classes just like I did, but I understood every word she said and the context in which she meant it because I've grown up speaking that language. You don't have that luxury. Like, I'm sure there were classes you were sitting in where as brilliant as you are and as good as you are, somebody said something and you're like, was that a joke or were they making fun of me? <laughs> like, that happens all the time. Oh, I still don't get the, you know, joke, someone's joke or, you know, it's like, what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but anyway, yeah, well, it was a struggle, uh, especially uh, at Yale, uh, mm. at the beginning of the, you know, it's just like the Miss Kennedy's class was just like, why had I have no idea. <laughs> I think we all felt that to some degree, just to be clear. But but I could imagine yeah. somebody whose language wasn't English first that and not just she spoke so fast, Joan Panetti. Yeah. Like even I would I would have I'm just like, could you just say that one more time? I'm trying to keep up. <laughs> like, I don't know what you don't know what you're saying, you know. And I'm from the United States. Yeah, Gwen. Yeah, said that. You know, oh, actually, yeah, we even don't understand. So don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna get the same grade I'm getting, which is probably not an A. So whatever, just do your best. <laughs> She's smart. We're not. It's okay. <laughs> well, but uh, you know, the English was again sort of like um, could be again sort of like a indirect sort of like answer or the things mm. that talk about. Uh, but um, uh, I think it was really helpful for me to be in the percussion studio, especially in Bob's studio, because of that. Like I said, the very cooperative, you know, friend friendly atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And then also um, there was a one Japanese girl in the studio, but then she was really already fluent in English. And then um, yeah, I kind of asked her, you know, let's yeah, don't use Japanese. Who is this? That, uh, helped me. Huh? Who? Uh, her name is uh, Yuko Sado. 
Okay. Uh, probably you will know, but uh, anyway, very sweet lady, and uh, uh, so yeah, she was there for yeah. How, I don't know how she got to Peabody though, but um, anyway, um, <clears throat> so that's that. And then also Peabody was only uh, five Japanese students like in the whole uh, conservatory mm. that uh, that was helpful. And anyway, so I kind of put myself in the you know, situations that I don't use English, uh, Japanese mm. uh, or, yeah. Uh, also, like, I made up my, you know, make, made up my mind to really don't go back to Japan for two years at least because I made really big, you know, decision to come to the United mm. States, which I, after I finished college, undergrad in Japan, I had a few years of sort of like doing freelancing and that's when, you know, I did this uh, Marimba Tropical. <laughs> loving <laughs> <I love it. laughs> or stuff like that mm-hmm. but then um yeah i was not still um sad like a uh, fully happy i was not happy about what i was getting like although my sort of intention was to sort of use my skill what i have got uh, through four years of college study and yeah what i'm going to get in the you know real sort of you know real world yeah, <laughs> what yeah. kind of job gigs and stuff like that but uh it was really tough and then that's when i started to sort of think about or started to remember about or somewhat i kind of found out about yeah bob like i met uh this guy kuni komori mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah he i happened to sort of study and then came back uh, and study with bob for one year at peabody mm-hmm. and then um yeah, sort of back and forth between United States and then uh, Japan. And then how I got to meet him was actually I heard uh, from someone else that Kuni is um, going to sell five octave marimba. And at the time, I didn't have marimba. So mm. I actually bought from him. And then sort of started to kind of, you know, know about... Oh, so he happened to study with Bob at Peabody after uh, William Marsh left. I think mm-hmm. he originally studied with William Marsh. Then he left and then Bob came. So mm-hmm. he also kind of happened to study with Bob. And then, yeah, so stuff like that. Then he really helped me out to sort of connect to Bob. So, he, yeah, that was a big, yeah, he's a big, uh, yeah, sort of helper for me to get to that when as you so you you get through peabody you go to yale you and i you know that's where you and i meet we play a lot of chamber music together um and then you know i remember a lot of the conversations that we were all having at you know we'd go to gypsy at night after long days of rehearsal or coachings with bob and we'd all be sort of like just chewing the fat and talking shit about what it is we wanted to do with our lives like you know yeah, I remember Jamie mm-hmm. talking a lot about theater percussion and, and you know, you were talking about solo, you were doing a lot of like solo percussion playing at the time. And, you know, we were talking about teaching and I was starting to sub with so a little bit towards the end of my time. And like, I'm curious for you at, when you were at Yale, um, where, what was the moment in your time at Yale where you sort of started to get oriented towards teaching? What landed you at the job with UMass? How did you land there coming out of Yale? Uh, well, for me, for me, getting into so was like a totally random happenstance of Doug quitting right at the right time. So like I managed to, that's how that happened. But for you, how did that get to UMass? Well, it's also random thing. Like, as you said, it's just those kind of like chance or opportunity. Like you never know when you really come, you know, dropped you know, right. in front of you. Right. So, 
so my last year at Yale, I found out this audition uh, that was Chembamik uh, Society 2 audition, mm-hmm. so which is for a three-year residency program at Chembamik uh, Society. Um, that sort of like designed for emerging artists to collaborate with the artists of the society and that you get to perform at Alice Tally Hall or also as, as, as you know, uh, lots of other uh, opportunities that you can get. So um, I kind of, yeah, happened to see this um, uh, audition information, um, yeah, randomly. Then like, kind of like I, you know, I checked, you know, their website or something to see what, you know, who are the roster and then stuff like that. But then in the past, yeah, there was no percussionist. So I wasn't sure at first that even they would be interested in taking, interested in taking percussionists. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but they didn't say in, at the, in the, in, uh, eligibility, eligibility, right? Who, yeah, who mm-hmm. should be qualified to mm-hmm. take this audition. Eligibility, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. You, often, you know, percussion is excluded, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but it didn't say that. Mm-hmm. So that was the kind of like for me to, oh, actually I may have a chance to, you know, uh, yeah, at least apply for it. You didn't say so I, I couldn't. Thought, huh? You didn't say I couldn't. That's 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 the answer to like you didn't say I couldn't apply, <laughs> so I'm going to. <laughs> I, I actually uh, asked Ran- Ransom Wilson, a uh, flute professor at Yale, who is uh, one of the members mm-hmm. of the society, and then like so it doesn't say so like do you think I can apply for it? And then he was like, yeah, oh, don't go for it. You know, you really should apply. So that's kind of how I did. And then yeah, fortunately, like yeah, they invited me to a live, yeah, audition, mm-hmm. and then. Yeah, yeah. What I did was something that they never knew, you know, never seen, like table music and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's kind of the way for me to make it to this residency uh, program. And then my third year was uh, my first year to start to teach at UMass. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was again sort of like happened to find out about the opening uh, because Eduardo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ed- yeah, left, and then uh, there was a one year of sort of nobody was there, and then sort of like, actually, I knew um, one student uh, at UMass, um, well, yeah, we knew each other, and then sort of like, uh, she kind of arranged to invite me to give a master class, and then sort of, yeah, got to know sort of studios, sort of situation, and then, um, yeah, uh, it would be good for me to apply, or also, but still, I wasn't sure, because like, like, you know, I'm just like a, you know, small, you know, Japanese <laughs> percussion girl from Japan that like, like, am I, like, I just never thought about me teaching at a university in United States, you know, mm-hmm. I just didn't click that sort of like my future being, you know, from the time, you know, moment and moment, like I kind of like just wanted to be a better musician. So I came to the United States to study with Bob. And then, yeah, oh, two years is not enough. So I would like to keep studying with him. So that made me to go to Yale. And then, oh, happened to have this opportunity uh, at CMS that, oh, it seems like at least I am able to apply. So I just apply and they happen to, you know, make right, it. Right. So. Yeah, then like, oh, well, that made me, you know, to have my visa status, you know, extended. You know, I mean, it's all I stuff can... that you can't really 
plan for. It's not like yeah, you sit exactly. down and like, here's what I'm going to do. Let me start off making these things happen. Like, yeah. it seems like to yeah. me that there's you, you're someone who works really hard, but there's an opportunity that comes across your, like, there's a train that goes by and you yeah. make the choice to get on it, I guess is the thing yeah. is like, yeah. you know, you can, we all watch opportunities come across our plate every day, right? Like I have, I'm not, there some, some are very small and you're like, maybe it's not my worth my time to jump at that thing. And then this other thing comes across and you're like, Oh my God, I got to grab that. And then you grab it, but you, it's hard to plan for those opportunities. There's no way I could have planned to join so percussion when I was in grad school. It just, yeah. it was an op- Somebody asked me if I had the time to do it and I could have said no, but I said yes. And you know, the rest is history. But, um, I, I think for you, I mean, this leads me to sort of, we're coming up on an hour here, Ayano. Can you believe it? Um, um, wow. we've been talking for an hour. Um, I hope, uh, my conversation is all like, uh, I'm speaking all right. <laughs> you're doing great. Ayano, you've always spoken all right to me and that's why I wanted you on the podcast and I oh. wish we could smoke cigars right now. That would be, Oh a, yeah. Well, some of the time, yeah. um, but, uh, you know, you, uh, in terms of um, not planning for something, I mean, I think this is something that we talk about, you know, Bob would talk about when we're playing chamber music is like, you have to plan for the thing that you don't know is going to happen. That's why we work on cues. That's why we work on pencil work for, you know, knowing who's going to enter where and when and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the like, you can't plan for a pandemic. You plan, like you get hired at UMass and you're planning, you got years of experience there that like I've got, I can, I can now start a plan on how I'm going to structure someone's studies with me at the University of Amherst, Amherst, University of Massachusetts, Amherst, right? Then the pandemic (laughs) happens and now we're online. Um, And I do, I, I feel like you're one of the few people of the people I know that has when the pandemic happened, you kept a studio class meeting live. I don't know if you still do it, um, but yeah, it, I, it was something yeah. that I feel I'm curious now, like now that we're, we're all in this same storm right now together <laughs> dealing with this. How have your, what's your mission now as a teacher? What's your, mm-hmm. as an educator, where, what ethically do you feel like moving forward are the biggest fires you have to put out? You know, relating to a pandemic, I yeah, still sort of don't know the answer, you know, what, you know, this, I mean, definitely a big, you know, huge impact to in many ways. And then I'm still in the sort of middles of, middle of like, oh, what should I do to, yeah, like help myself, but then of course student. And, uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, but um, it's, uh, I think of um, educator was a being a teacher is like a sort of like a dresser, like a tailor-made, like a, each student has a, you know, own different background and then also different paths that they, uh, you know, came from and then also going to. Mm-hmm. And then you really sort of make, create, like a, it's a, another kind of creativity for you to do it. Like, a, you know, yeah, creativity for music making, but then also creativity for someone sort of like, you know, yeah, sort of navigator to someone's future, which is very exciting in a way. Yeah. And sort of really recalling my, you know, how I (laughs) really came to United States. And then, I mean, just like, well, of course they have to figure out eventually of the, you know, by themselves because that's their future. But, um, at the same time, if I could be, a yeah, sort of like a role model with, 
Yes, giving an instruction is one way, but then also me as a performer, what I do is really sort of student are, of course, you know, keep watching me, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, what Ayano do, <laughs> you know, does. So those two things really try to maintain well. And uh, yeah, for this, uh, in under this circumstance, I um, just like, you know, try to help in a way that, you know, online teaching is, you know, challenging because uh, mm-hmm. just the, you know, internet sort of service is not quite, you know, stable or it's just like the sound quality. You can't tell, you know, what, you know, sound, kind of sounds they are, yeah. you know, making and then just like have to sort of, yeah, guess in some way, you know, by watching it. And then, um, yeah, still we can talk about phrasing and stuff like that. But then definitely there is a, yeah, sort of hole that you really can't, you know, um, cover. So, um, yeah, I need to figure that out, what I can do for that, you know, whole to make it, you know, at least a sort of, at least a better way to... It's interesting. I mean, that, the thing that I've realized for better or worse is that that whole Mm -hmm. has always been there. It's Mm. just by the student, like for me, the whole is like the access that students have to good internet, to instruments at home. Like that stuff's been there for everybody all the time. It's just when you're at UMass Amherst or you're at NYU or Princeton or wherever it is you're studying at the University of Akron, that whole doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have a marimba at home because there's a marimba here. It doesn't matter if you have two octaves of Amglocken at home because we have them here. Now all of a sudden all of that stuff matters and somebody if if somebody's participation in your educational studies relies on a five octave marimba mm-hmm. that's somebody's going to fall in that hole because somebody's not going to be able to afford a $15,000 instrument right. in their home so i'm saying that all as an acknowledgement of I, I i'm with you i don't i don't right now i'm trying to figure out how to teach two steel band programs remote it's mm-hmm. not the hole doesn't matter when they're all in the room and I can give them all a set of double seconds or a base pan, set of base pans or whatever. But now mm-hmm. I can't. And so what, how do I teach them in the way, like how do I give them the same right. quality? And, yeah. but also acknowledge that I have to teach them something new now, like teaching them the old way is, is help. Some of it's helpful, but maybe right now chamber music skills aren't the most important thing. Me being able to go bonk with somebody else doesn't mm-hmm. matter if Zoom, like that hole exists for everybody too once you're all on Zoom. Now, bonk that, you can't. You can't line that up on Zoom. So it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. It just means like maybe now I need to teach students how to record at home. I need to teach students what it means to master something. I need to need, like master a track. I need to know, students need to know what editing is and what, how to play with a click, <laughs> you know, those sorts yeah. of things. Like what is compression? What does a limiter do whenever you, what does EQ do? What does reverb do? These are all things that you don't, you, you just don't ever need to deal with in the room right. when you're learning chamber music. And now right. those are all skills that I've had to develop because of my time in so percussion but I'm having to sort of take my tool set and be like, I don't think I need these anymore. Put these on the shelf for the next four months and let's get these other ones out because I need to get better at using these. And, um, but it's so hard. I feel like it's, it's scary because I'm good at the other thing. I'm not good right. at this other thing yet. So and then I feel like this responsibility, they're paying me money or they're coming to my school that I teach at. And they're like, well, you must have all the answers. You're, we paid you to give us them. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Like welcome, to, welcome to chaos. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> and I, I'm trying real hard to give students the sense that like it's my responsibility. I'm, a, I, you know, I take it seriously, but. I need to be honest. Like I'm, fi- I'm learning Zoom just like you all are, you know, and and I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. But it, it's so, it's so tricky. Yeah, definitely challenging. And because like music is a communication, like a you know, in the space to communicate, you right. know. And uh, yeah, I I was just at a music festival that was very fortunate that uh, we were able to do some music making in the same space. And then I mean, we had to sort of follow the, all the guidelines of like you know like quarantine for 14 days or whatever and then yeah we cleared out by yeah negative <laughs> covid you know 19 test or whatever right, right. you know things like that but uh i mean you can't do that every single time for one gig for example <laughs> you know but anyway but you know now i'm back and sat like i like how how much it was a luxury time was I'm just so missed it and then yeah sort of like now I'm kind of confronting the reality that oh oh my god what what you know should I do because I'm just like I'm a yeah more likely a kind of like a analog person it's just I'm not a technology person that really just don't know how to yeah communicate through this like this whole uh, technology you know tool to use which kind of like in front of you that's what you know that's the reality right now so um yeah it's a struggle and then i need yeah i have to yeah, figure that out and then again sort of like really what student is needing you know what right. their sort of yeah needs are to i think that's sort of the most priority thing for each student it's not you know, we. I don't want to be okay. This is the package that I can give you. The mm. same thing. You know, I don't want to do that. I think again. So I really want to be able to be coordinating to each. You know, as you know, they uh, wish. You right. know, or right. what they need. You know, sort of those finding out. You know, each of student needs and the help out for that. I think that's about. Yeah, that's kind of my. Uh, sort of standpoint as a teacher rather than sort of like oh i have this so you should learn this you know um well yeah sure that's one part of it but then it's not about i think it's so beautiful that yeah we happen to be have you know sort of study at a university and i happen to be a sort of like a yeah navigator of the yeah yeah, um to yeah it's just a one time you know meet and then sort of like you know i'm so like fortunate and then thankful that I'm part of the each student sort of life, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm involved in the yeah, involvement I, that I get for four years or two years or whatever. And then, I mean, I can't do, I mean, I try to do my best for each and uh, that's all I can do. And then some may not be, you know, I may not, was not the best you know, person to be involved in. Well, <laughs> so that happens know? sometimes. I mean, to student, yeah. I mean, I transferred from Ohio State to the University of Akron. There was a moment when I realized that this was not the place that was going to be best mm-hmm. suited for anybody. Include them. I it wasn't, it wasn't the best place for me and I wasn't the best student for them either. So I transferred and it was a hard decision, but it's one that I, you know, it's important. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something earlier that I just want to highlight again, which is <clears throat> thinking of yourself as a teacher thinking as a te- of a teacher as a navigator it's like yeah. you're someone who's just helping give direction like it's like hey you're headed that way just so you know 
Like, like, or, Hey, check out this direction because there's some stuff down here. I want you to see, like, Mm -hmm. you're just sort of pointing out like Google maps points out, like this direction will take you 23 minutes longer. Like I've never understood why Google maps does that, but I suppose it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll need that. Um, yeah, you need sometimes to take a, you know, uh, what do you call like um, an alternate route? Yeah, your alternate route. Yeah, detour. Well, yeah, det- well let me. So I, I just think as a, and and plus I would say too as a student, I want to. I, I think it's a student's responsibility to understand that a teacher, it's not their responsibility to give you everything either. Like mm-hmm. I, I think as a as a teacher, you need to have the mentality that you don't have everything to give, but also as a student. Excuse me. I think sometimes you miss you miss assume that your teachers have everything. Yeah. Now, if your teacher is telling right. you they have everything, then hold them accountable. But but most of my teachers, including myself, I would say, and what you're just saying is like I, the first thing I would say to a student is, I do not know what I'm talking about on everything. So, you know, take what I'm saying, put it in the hopper with other things to think about. Use them mm-hmm. or don't use them. Don't throw them away. But just you know, keep them. Um, Keep them in case you might need them. They're, everything you're given in life, good, bad, or indifferent, is a tool. Um, mm-hmm. And I, th- I think it's important to just keep them all. I have one thing I would just sort of want to wrap up here. I There's this game I got called uh, We Are Not – We're Not Really Strangers. And it's sort of – it's just a card game. You draw two random cards. And yeah. – um, there's levels one, two, and three. Level one are sort of like a total stranger. And so you, you draw a card and you get to learn about each other. We're level three, Ayana. We've known each other for a while. So I chose two cards from level three. I'm going to hold one up to you and I want you to read it to me and then I will answer it. And then I'll read one to you and you have to answer it. Okay. Wow. Here okay. We go. Can you read that? Yes, yeah, sure. What do you think our most important sim- similarity is? All right. That's what you're asking me. What do you think our most important similarity is, you and me? Yeah. I think that other than our good looks, I would say that uh, <laughs> other than the fact that we're twins, Ayano, I would say that you I, – I, I consider one of my most important qualities in life to be laughter and the desire to have laughter in my life above all else. I don't care about John Cage more than I care about laughing. And you are someone who I feel like, despite you are a very serious person and you have many amazing qualities, but I feel like you're someone who, if I can get to laugh quickly, the rehearse, everything's going to be easier. And so to me, that, that is what I would say is our most important similarity is that you, you desire laughter in your life. Um, if not as much, uh, or if not more, as, at least as much as I do. And it manifests itself in its own way, but that's, that's what I think. Am I, am I anywhere close? Oh, that's beautiful. I think it's a perfect answer. I love it. Thank okay. you. Yeah. Great. All right. Now here's your question. In one word, describe how you feel right now. Like right now. That's what it says. I know I didn't make the question up. I just, you want me to pull another one? Or are you going to pass? <laughs> word about myself like yeah. describe in one word describe how you feel right now mm. Mm oh, is not a word ayana <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh, i don't know what's the best uh what's you can use I a word in japan japanese you can use a japanese word i don't care you just got to tell me what it means right <laughs> well um, well, we used to have a drink of like whiskey together. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then how about hibiki? Do you know this whiskey, Japanese whiskey? Oh, I know. I know of the wiki uh, of the whiskey. What is it? Hibiki. What does it mean? Hibiki. Hibiki means harmony. Harmony. How about that? Hibiki. <laughs> I like it, Ayano. It's a double meaning. It's harmony, but it's also whiskey. Whiskey, exactly. That's what I want to do with you. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll bring the tobacco. You bring the hibiki. And, um, and Ayano, I, I am very grateful for your time. And I cannot wait to pick you up and swing you around in the air like I do every time I mean, I see you. Um, but oh I'll, we'll do it when we can do it safely. I don't want to get anybody sick, but I can't tell you how much I miss that. And I miss being in the room with you and playing with you and all of that good stuff. And I'm sure your students feel the same. So, um, yeah, same to you. Love, 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 love all around. Um, is there any place where if there are, if folks want to learn more about the work you're doing, is there a, a Facebook page, YouTube, uh, Instagram, where can folks learn more about you? I don't know. Yeah, well, I have a website, which I have to update more constantly. <laughs> we all do but, uh, now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's ayanokatauka.com. So, yeah, that could be one. And also I have a yeah Facebook, uh, I mean, personal page, but also yeah professional ones. And uh, uh, what else? I mean, if you go to UMass website and then my uh, bio is there and stuff like that. So it's, uh, yeah, r- rather a little bit random that I should... Uh, you know, centralized, like collect. I think we're all realizing we need to do that. I mean, I get asked all the time, like, so where can we find, I'm just like, Oh my God, there's like 19 different places you can go look. I should just put it all on one webpage. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have to do that. But uh, yeah, you can find, you know, if you type my name, Ayano Kataoka and then Amherst, pop up like ayano kataka will be only one <laughs> also go on just type in uh ayano's it's k-a-t-a-o-k-a kataka and i go on youtube and just type that in and you'll hear and I, I think type it in if you don't know what ayano looks like type it in and shut your eyes and then draw a picture of what you think it is that's playing that instrument playing those instruments and i'll bet you'll draw a 900 foot tall monster because that's what you sound like when you play <laughs> Not a three foot tall Japanese woman um, who needs a bench to stand on to play marimba. You don't need that bench anymore. But you know, you 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 bring a lot of noise, and I and I love it. And Ayano, it's it's the first thing. I mean, when I stood next to you in grad school and you started playing vibraphone, I was like, oh, I need ear, I need earplugs, and I've been in front of steel bands in Trinidad. This is like nine hundred times louder in a good way. Um, well, hey, Ayano, I'll, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, and stay safe and stay healthy, okay? Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right, love you. Me. Take it easy. Bye. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast was brought to you by Liquid Drum, liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas, run by my good buddy Todd Mian. Check him out. Hilarious percussion vids, great merch. Check him out, liquiddrum.com. Also, uh, Dunleavy Steel Pans, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y Pans.com. Kyle makes and builds all of the steel drums I perform on and so percussion and teach on at Princeton and NYU. Uh, Kyle's an amazing tuner and builder. Check him out, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y Pans.com. Also, if you are interested in steel pan advocacy information, education, go to paninmotion.com. You can check out a bunch of my good friends in Brooklyn run an amazing organization called Pan in Motion. You can check them out at paninmotion.com. And finally, uh, Mango Chow. Uh, Aliandri Mirage runs an amazing clothing company that sells steel pan inspired merch. Uh, you can check them out at mangochowclothing.com. That's C-H-O-W, chow. Mangochowclothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing. Um, 
great style. Check them out. All right. Hope you're enjoying these conversations and I hope you are staying safe. We'll talk to y'all soon. Bye.